Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Hey, before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you about the University of Colorado School of Medicine Wilderness Medicine Program. If you have been looking for something to do outside of the classroom, outside of the traditional shadowing and clinical experiences, come out to Colorado, spend two weeks out here, a week doing shadowing in the emergency room, doing EMS ride-alongs, listening to lectures like me, and then spend a week up in the woods running around treating trauma patients in air quotes, quote unquote trauma patients, learning how to do wilderness medicine. You can text the word WILDMED to 44222 to get a link to the University of Colorado School of Medicine's Wilderness Medicine Program and use the promo code MSHQ to save some money. The Pre-Med Year, session number 340. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre-med years. I hope you're having a great day, and I hope you are ready for a great story of a student who has been on this pre-med path for about 10 years now, starting undergrad a while ago, having self-doubt trying to fix her path by doing a master's degree in public health, which didn't really help her path, and then continuing down this path, getting married, having a kid, being a military spouse, and so much more. And we're going to talk about the application process and how she ended up advocating for herself and having an interview invite the very next day. We will have a special thing on the website for you at medicalschoolhq.net slash 340. Eric and I are going to talk about a letter of interest that she sent to the school that we think got her the interview invite, or at least another look at her application, which led to the interview invite. We're going to have that letter that she sent on the website, again, medicalschoolhq.net slash 340. Let's go ahead and jump in and hear Erica's story. Erica, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. 
When did you realize you wanted to be a physician? Well, it kind of happened um, through more of a traumatic situation when I was about seven. Um, I was kind of introduced to the body um, by seeing a family friend. She actually got shot in the head doing an armed robbery. And um, I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor at the time, but I just knew I was interested in how she was able to survive that and still walk around fully functional with a bullet still floating around in her brain. And so um, that was kind of my introduction into the field at that age. And at 13, I started candy striping. And that's when it kind of got more serious about what I was thinking I wanted to do. How did you know about candy striping? Um, Well, from that, um, the previous incident that I described, I had talked to my pediatrician about, you know, how she was able to survive, how our family friend was able to survive. And she was just telling me that, you know, these doctors and nurses use magic juice to help her and cameras. And (laughs) so I was just like, that just didn't make sense to me. And I wanted to know more. And so she kind of suggested, well, you're not old enough right now, but when you turn 13, there's a program where they let you actually follow around the healthcare team. And so that's um, how I found out about candy striping. What was it about candy striping that was like, oh, this is really cool. I think I want to explore this more. Well, I remember walking in and they had me in the neonatal intensive care unit. And uh, I remember seeing one of the doctors was actually holding um, one of the babies that was well enough to come out of the incubator. And um, I saw all these little tubes and everything coming out of the baby. But I just, I don't know, I just felt so drawn to the baby and then the mom and the family. It was just like, I wanted to help take care of, you know, small babies too. And, you know, that that's initially what I was saying to myself. But when I talked to the doctor about like what was wrong with the baby and um, how they were going to help her, I just, I just thought it was so cool. And, you know, I was still young. So um, I figured like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be, they were a neonatologist and I'm like, I want to be just like you when I grow up. So it's kind of one of those things. But as I began to shadow different doctors, I realized that um, this was the field for me, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in the field. Yeah. So you have this experience at, at a young age. You go to high school, go to college, get into medical school, easy peasy, <laughs> all said and done, right? That's how it works? <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first obstacle in your journey? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I went to college and I actually got a um, $40,000 scholarship, which was really um, helpful for my family. And my first obstacle was getting a letter in the mail uh, my second, my sophomore year stating that I would be losing my scholarship if I didn't get my GPA up. And that's when things just kind of fell apart for me. Uh, I was doing way too much. Uh, not a lot of self-reflection. I was going, I was doing, I was going like a thousand miles a minute. And I really, at the time, didn't realize it. So that first obstacle was getting my GPA back up so I could keep my scholarship. Why do you think your GPA was not where it needed to be? Oh, well, I was taking, you know, typical 17 credit hours for full-time student in college, but I was also working um, work study. And then I also was doing telemarketing um, at night um, in the um, when I would get out of class and on the weekends. So I was working too much and I was more concerned with money than really my grades at the time. And so it was kind of an immature 
thought process. You know, you get to college and you get in and you get a scholarship. And then I just wanted to make money to help, you know, pay um, my bills. And so I know that it was because I was just, I was kind of spread all over the place. I was joining clubs, um, hanging out with friends. Um, I would go to class, but in those tough classes like organic chem and, um, I just wasn't putting in as much time as I should have been putting in. I studied for those classes like I studied for English, and you just can't do that. So you get this letter in the mail threatening Mm. to to lose your scholarship. (laughs) What sort of action did you put into place moving forward because of that? Well, I forgot to mention that not only did they send the letter to me, they sent it to my parents back uh-oh, home. Uh-oh. So I was in Virginia. My parents were in California and they're thinking our perfect daughter goes off to college and they get this letter. So my first action was I, I stopped working uh, my the telemarketing job by like, I think I went down to like 10 hours a week because I was working like 30 hours a week plus work study. So I wow. significantly decreased my hours, which was insane. I wasn't sleeping it was just crazy. And I had this, I had this sense of pride about what I was doing, which made no sense. And so I stopped working as much. Um, I actually went to my professors and let them know that I was having trouble really retaining the information. And they were like, you know, how are you studying? Um, are you studying? <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause some of my grades are like, well, are you actually studying? And I, and I would spend what I thought was a good amount of time studying, but I wasn't, studying effectively. So you can do something for hours the wrong way and then keep doing it the wrong. So I changed my study habits, which was very hard to do because I had been studying that way since high school. And um, so mainly just decreasing my work hours and also saying no more than I was saying yes. So I was saying no to club activities, friends that want to go out and um I was, as we know, it's very easy to decrease your GPA and it's so hard to get it back up. So, yeah. So did you lose the scholarship? No, (laughs) I didn't. I did not lose the scholarship. I graduated in four years. Um, I actually, my last semester I did, the last couple semesters I did fine, but my GPA didn't, didn't move much because, you know, I had, I had killed it so much. Yeah. What was the second obstacle in your journey to going straight into medical school? Well, around that same time of losing my scholarship, I had some, some issues with my family and uh, mainly like with just parents and just money and just a lot of pressure on me. And so I kind of went into a depression. And what's interesting is I didn't know that I was depressed because I'm like, I'm fine. I'm going to class. I'm happy. Don't you see? And it's like, I was putting on this face for everyone. And my friends didn't really see it because I did well at hiding it. My parents couldn't see it because they were way in California. Um, I didn't see it because I was just doing everything else to kind of um, not face it. So the second obstacle was really overcoming like depression, self-doubt, negative thoughts, um, just worrying a lot. I isolated myself um, significantly, like to the point where it wasn't really healthy. And just coming out of that was very hard because you're around so many people, but you feel alone. And that was uh, harder for me actually to come out of than raising my GPA. So, (laughs) How do you 
recognize that because that's a huge issue for people, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. where you're not even self-aware that you, you're in this funk, that you're depressed. It, mm-hmm. If you don't have somebody calling you out and saying, hey, like, Eric, I don't I don't think everything is OK with you. How do you how did you get to that point where you knew something needed to change? Um, I think it was really for me. I was in my dorm. Um, I think my roommate had left for the weekend like she wasn't there. And I was just sleeping like in my dorm and I I just didn't want to get up. I was just, I was a mess. And I kind of got up to go use the restroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what's wrong with you? You're in college. Like you're supposed to be having some of the greatest years of your life. What's up? And so I actually, I think I pulled out a piece of paper and I wrote down all the things that I was angry about. And I was angry because I had all this pressure on me. I was angry because I was I might lose my scholarship. I was angry because I got a C in organic chemistry. I wrote down all these things and I felt so much better after. So it was really, um, I, I wrote down what, what I was frustrated about and I got it out of my mind and I got it on paper. So then I could identify what was really going on. And so I didn't have anyone call me out because I was really good at hiding it, but it just, it just took me just in my room, just kind of sitting there. And I don't know, I, I snapped out of it because I just realized like, you know, if you don't get yourself together, you're going to lose your scholarship. So I was kind of talking to myself like that. You're going to go home back to California. Your parents are going to be disappointed. You know, I kind of, I kind of talked to myself a little rough, but <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever seek out any sort of help from friends or therapists during that point? You know, I didn't. and. And I wish I would have because it was a it was kind of taboo and kind of a stigma because it was like if you go to the counselor, that means something's wrong with you. Um, that means you're weak. That means that um, you're crazy. Something's psychologically wrong. Like those are all the thoughts I was thinking, and I couldn't tell anyone because then they would be like, "Maybe you do need to see a counselor." And so um, now I would say to anyone listening, like, don't waste any time. Go to a counselor. Talk to a trusted friend, write it out on paper and give it to someone if you don't feel comfortable saying the words out of your mouth. But no, I didn't seek help. And I feel like um, the next couple years wouldn't have been the way that they were if I would have sought help earlier. Mm-hmm. What prevented you from going from college to medical school? Uh, my junior year, I uh, my GPA was not impressive at all. Um, I was still kind of coming out of the depression and frustration and self-doubt. And I just said, you know what? I can't go to medical school. Like, you know, I don't really know anyone that could help me. I don't know what I'm doing. This is all a waste of time. Like I was just so negative and I didn't, and I didn't realize I was being so negative because I was always encouraging everyone else around me. But Um, what prevented me was myself, honestly, like I just didn't apply because I was like, I'm not going to get in. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. And, um, that led me to applying for a master's degree. Why did you choose a master's versus undergrad post-bac or something else? I really didn't know about post-bac programs. Like I wish I would have, but I didn't know about post-bac programs, but, um, I forgot to mention Every summer I went to an internship program in between college, like every summer I went and, um, I remember working in infectious diseases. And so I was like, I'm really interested in learning more about infectious diseases and public health and epidemiology. And 
I don't remember how I found out about like public health, but I think I just asked one of my mentors and they said, Oh, you should look into a master's program. And, um, I, again, was still angry with myself. So I just on a whim applied to this program. And I went to Las Vegas for like a a trip with my friends. And like the dean calls me and says, hey, we'd like to interview you for this program. And then I was like, oh, crap, like, really? (laughs) You're interested in me? Like, I do have some I do have some interest from someone. So that's kind of when things started to turn around for me. So, yeah. When you were applying for the master's, were you Mm -hmm. did you even think about continuing to go to medical school after that? Or were you just starting to think about other careers? Um, medical school was always in my mind and in my heart, but I just felt I couldn't do it. Like I was like, I can't like my GPA is, I think it was like a 3.0 or it might've been a 2.8. And then I got it up to a 3.0. And Um, I was always considering medical school, but I felt like I had to have a perfect application to apply. And so that's why I didn't apply right (laughs) away. You and everybody else. (laughs) Yeah. And so the master's program was awesome um, because it really taught me how to study the right way for my classes and, and how to really kind of be like military with my time. Like I didn't talk to my family a lot during those two years because I was like, look, I got to do well in this program, Mm -hmm. you know, and I ended up graduating at the top of the class. And I'm like, oh, this will be perfect. Med schools will love it. Well, I shortly found out that a master's in public health um, is not considered hard sciences. So it's not really going (laughs) to make admissions committee say, wow, she blew it away. You know, like, yeah. So again, that was another point in my journey where I was like, are you serious? You know, like, (laughs) yeah, all this for nothing. Yeah, all this for nothing. And I wish I knew about you back then. I don't know if, if you if you had your podcast and everything, but like I needed like someone like you to be like, hey, slap me and be like, hey, well, not slap me, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> slap your like, eardrums. Yeah. And be like, look, what are you doing? You need to stop. Yeah. Stop doing all these things and yeah. figure out what you need to do. But yeah, it's, it's actually funny you say that because I think a lot of students do that. They just go... Well, I didn't do this. Well, let me jump into that. No, that didn't. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly right. Let me jump into this. And they just go uh, hopping from one thing to the other without actually stopping and going, what do I need to be doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. man. So you you finish your MPH. You, you're mm-hmm. at the top of your class. Amazing. Mm-hmm. But you still did, did at that <laughs> point. Did you try to go to medical school? Well, I um, I took my I took the MCAT, the old MCAT. My score was abysmal. Like it was terrible. So I like was what? like, what's abysmal? <laughs> um, the old MCAT was on the, up to the 40. So it was like a 22 or 23. Okay. Actually it was a 20. Yeah. It was about a 22 or 21 actually. Okay. Because I took it again and got a 23. So okay. like if anyone's listening, yeah, everything that I'm saying, don't do <laughs> what too. I did. Yeah. <laughs> So 21, <laughs> 22, 23, just yeah. off the top of my head, that's probably 495-ish probably. On, the, on today's uh, new MCAT. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't and do great on that. No, not at all. And I, like I've heard on your podcast before, I didn't give the MCAT the respect it deserved. Mm-hmm. I studied for it like I was studying for a college class and you see how it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Not very well. And yeah. So at, at that point where you're like, well, shoot, I guess I can't get to medical school. Or did you go, well, let me figure out how to fix this? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little stubborn when I have a goal. Like 
I, I was like, no, I'm still going to, I'm still going to attempt. I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to apply, but, um, I can't do it with this. So I was like, let me enroll in a class. And so I enrolled in like, um, two different prep courses at two different times. And it just, it still, it still didn't work for me. Like I, I still wasn't getting it. So I ended up studying on my own and increased my score to a 26 or 25. And so then I was like, Oh, you know, that's still not great. You know? Mm -hmm. And someone told me like, well, you know, minorities can make lower on the MCAT. (laughs) And so, and then, so that really set me on fire. I was like, here we go. So I was like, well, (laughs) and now I'm thinking in my head, like today I'd be like, I'll take it because once I get in, I'll make the grades I need and I'll, I don't, I don't care about the whole race thing. But back then I had something to prove and I wasn't doing a good job (laughs) at proving it. And so, um, why did you take two prep courses? Because one was online and I thought like, Oh, I could work and then I could just come home and, and do it. And then, um, I can come home and do the work that the online class had. And then I can also do one in class on the weekends. Again, schedule is a hot mess. I'm working. I'm trying to come home after eight, 10 hour work days and then study. And um, I also wanted to see like, was one program, was I going to get one program, get their information better than the other? And I did all that and it it just didn't work. (laughs) It's not a happy ending. (laughs) Did you take the MCAT again or with practice Um, tests, you realized you weren't going to get what you needed? I took a break from taking the MCAT. Yeah. For, for a little while. Yeah. I took a break because, um, it wasn't working and I was so angry. Like I just remember being so frustrated, like all that money, all that time, you know, all that times I ignored my family's calls because I was trying to study. I couldn't go to events. Like I just started once again, getting down on myself instead of really saying, what can you do better so that you're not in the same boat next year? I didn't do that you know, for a few years, actually. Mm-hmm. So what eventually turned it around for you for the MCAT? Well, as, as you'll see later on, my score still wasn't great, but, um, I really just, I just kind of like stopped and, and I was just like, look, this is the hurdle for me to get to Like I have everything else and this is my hurdle. So am I going to let this stop me? And if I do let it stop me, like, wh- what am I going to tell myself of why, why I quit? And, um, I got a private tutor and she worked with me and she was able to actually like the first day she was like, Erica, you need to get out of your own head. You keep questioning yourself. If you study, you know, the material, mark the answer and move on. And she was like, you keep going back and forth. You're changing your answers, you know? Um, so she really kind of looked at me and gave me some very valuable uh, feedback. And I, and to hear someone else say that it didn't know me, I was like, okay, she has a point. Like I did do that. So she had me like keep a running log of how many times I changed my answer and how many times it was wrong versus (laughs) right. And she also was like, the way you're studying is not effective. You're reading. You feel like you need to read all of the textbooks first and then do practice. You should be doing practice every time you're reading. Like, she just completely flipped it for me. And, yeah. and so it was great. Like, I was like, Oh, okay. Like this makes sense. I felt comfortable because I had someone um, by my side and, you know, not everyone needs a tutor, but I think I needed one. 
because I just had a lot of self-doubt and I know that a lot of pre-meds struggle with that. So don't feel like getting a tutor means you're not smart. It just means you need a little extra help. So it sounds like the self-doubt is a a big running theme in your life, self-doubting yourself through college, (laughs) on the MCAT. Yeah. How going into, um, spoiler alert, you got into medical school, how... (laughs) How, as a medical student, are you going mm-hmm. to prevent that? Well, I feel like you helped me a lot with that. Um, when I started working with you, you would say stuff to me like, why are you thinking so negative? Why, <laughs> why are you worrying about what if? And I was just like, whoa, like you really said that to me. Okay. And I'm like, that makes, <laughs> I'm like, and I, and then you made me realize like, wow, I, I literally, I was literally being negative and I've never thought of myself as a negative person until Like you said, and I was just like, wow, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be negative. Like, I feel like I'm always encouraging others. My family and friends come to me for encouragement. But when it came to myself, I, I, I I believed it for everyone else. But for me, I was like, uh, um, and to answer your question, I really was saying like my, my pursuit was medical school. My words were saying I wanted to go to medical school, but my, my thoughts weren't lining up with that. So it took a lot of um, just self-reflection. Me, you and I had several um, like sessions online. Some therapy um, sessions. <laughs> that, that's what I kind of felt like. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And prayer for me was big. Um, and just really betting on myself. Like I was always betting on other people. You can do it. Don't worry. So I needed to change that and tell myself like, Erica, you can do it. Like there are thousands of people more than that, that have done it before you and that will do it after you. And so I had to look at my strengths, which is what you kind of taught me, like, stop looking at your weaknesses, their weaknesses, they're there, acknowledge them, but don't focus on your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was so focused on my weakness, which was for my application was my MCAT. And so um, just getting, just having that time with you and then with my family, my close family and friends and I was able to come out of that whole self-doubt and turn things around. Yeah. Now you not only have to take care of yourself, but you have a family, a kid to take mm-hmm. care of. At what point did you ever question, like, I have a kid now. I can't go to medical school. I have to be there for my kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's interesting is I don't think I ever, I never said that with her. I, in fact, it made me want to do it more. Like she was not my inspiration to become a doctor because I wanted to become a doctor before I had my daughter. But when I did have her, I wanted to do it even more to show her that, hey, no matter what, you get knocked down 20 times. What's going to matter is you getting up that 21st time and and being there and, and being strong. And so I never really thought about like, oh, I have a kid. I'm married. My husband's military. We're moving around. Like I I just knew like, I'm going to do it. I just don't know how or when, but it's going to happen and nothing's going to get in the way of it. So as you were continuing down this path, you, you did your master's. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go back and, and take more undergrad classes? Cause you're like, Oh crap, I got to, got to prove I can handle the sciences. Oh yeah. I took a lot of, lot of undergrad classes. Um, my husband and I, uh, he got he he asked for permission to get out of the military early, and then I quit my my job, uh, corporate America, and we came we moved to where we are now, and I started taking classes immediately 
and I had been taking them all through since I graduated. So um, I was able to increase my GPA for undergrad um, a lot because I had taken so many classes over the years. But yeah, I continue to take classes, which I think is important. And it also helped me to just stay in the mindset of being a student. Let's talk about the application cycle. (laughs) (laughs) How fun was the application cycle? Um, negative 100. Yeah. Why? Um, just because (laughs) it's funny because you kept telling me like, you need, you're like, I remember I emailed you something and you were like, why have you not, (laughs) you're like, why have you not submitted your application? Why have you not sent it? Like, that's literally what you said. (laughs) You didn't say hi. You didn't say bye. You didn't say, (laughs) and you're like, why haven't you submitted this yet? And I was just like, oh my gosh, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't sugarcoat. <laughs> yeah. And I needed that because everyone around me was sugarcoating. And again, that's why I'm so glad that I signed up to work with you because I needed someone to be like, get the application in now or you or you won't get in because you, you're not submitting it. And so I my personal statement was I was so worried about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to write. And you really helped me with that. We had several revisions and it went from me trying to list out my activities to you really. Um, showing me like how I need to tell my story. Like you didn't write it for me. You just said like, you need to change this. And you kind of made me like think about what I really wanted to say in my story instead of like what I did. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like, and I, and I'm so proud of my personal statement. Um, the members, some members from the admissions committee during our second look actually commented on it and said that like, you had a beautiful story and it was well-written and it was captivating. And I was just like, thank you, Dr. Gray. <laughs> Man, <laughs> um, why didn't you tell me that earlier? <laughs> I wanted to save it oh, for the, <laughs> right. no, but, um, and we just had second look uh, like a week ago, no. but yeah. So the application cycle, it, um, it wasn't fun because I had a lot of like, I'm non-traditional, obviously, mm-hmm. And so I had a lot of activities. I had a lot of material. I didn't know how to put it together. I didn't know what I should say. And so that's where you really need someone to come from the outside and look at your application. And that's where you came in for me because I didn't know. I was just like, do I write this? Like, should I include this? And so it it became fun pretty much when I submitted it, when it was done. Like, that's about it. But well, I'm, um, I'm excited. I, I, as we're recording this in a couple of weeks, uh-huh. I'm flying up to Minneapolis to lock myself in a hotel room and hopefully finish my application book so that oh, everybody wow. can get my knowledge on the whole application process. And they don't have to work with me uh, one-on-one. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'll, I'll still be working one-on-one with students, but um, in a less, probably less than I do uh, have been previously. But your application process, you submitted your application through TMDSAS, right? You're a Texas mm-hmm. resident. And you submit through TMDSAS. Mm -hmm. When's the first time you heard anything about an interview? (laughs) I didn't. Not through (laughs) TMDSAS. Crickets. Crickets. You should ask me when's the first time I heard about a rejection. I could have told you that. But no. um, (laughs) um, Yeah, TMDSAS, I I didn't get anything. Like, um, it was nothing. Why do you think that is? Well, a part of it was me waiting because I don't know why I was sitting on my application. Um, part of it was that. But that last email that you sent me, I was like, okay, just send it. And the other part was my MCAT score. Um, I'm almost certain was the reason. What was your um, final MCAT score? 
Four ninety nine, just shy of five hundred. <laughs> that stings. I was like, "Are you serious?" Yeah, and I and I had so much confidence going into the exam. I'm like, my practice scores were decent. They weren't four ninety nine. They were. I, I was getting like five oh five, five oh eight. I even think I got like a five ten on one. So I'm like, you know, I should be okay. And um, yeah, I pretty much bombed it. Um, yeah. Very similar story to another student I had on Janet, who also had a four ninety nine. Yeah, and uh, it's it seems like that five hundred is this magical number that <laughs> that you need to to cross. And so, I mean, going back yeah. to that earlier comment that was made to you of oh, right, you're you're a minority, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Obviously yeah. not, right? No, and for me, I actually was. Um, beginning to restudy for the MCAT because I, I hadn't got anything. Like I hadn't got any interviews. I had like one uh, interview list, interview wait list hold from a school, but I hadn't gotten anything. So I was actually going to start restudying. Um, and then, you know, you and I talked and, and I was able to score an interview, but yeah. I was, I was on my way to, to getting ready to retake because I was like, no, I can do much better than that. Um, I need to retake this exam. But uh, talking to you, 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 you gave me options. You were like, you can move forward. You can take a year off. You can submit. Like you can, um, you know, you gave me options. And I was thinking like, I want to keep, I want to stay in the game yeah. and see what happens. When did you get so, that 499 back? I forget. It was, it was a little bit later in the cycle or not in the cycle, but um, um, on the calendar. Oh yeah. May, it was like, it was actually June. in June or June. No, I took it in June. So it was, I think, I, I think it was in July when I got it or I took it in May and got it in June. Yeah. It was one of those. Okay. I think I took it in May and I got it in June, but, um, or it could have been June or July, but either way I, I knew I was going to have to retake it, but I was dreading it. And that was probably the first time when I questioned, like, is this ever going to happen for me? Is, mm-hmm. is this really what you created me to do? God, like, I, I just don't feel I just feel like <laughs> God feel, created you to <laughs> to take the MCAT four thousand times. Yeah, I'm a I'm a professional MCAT <laughs> taker. Like, can you at least give me a, a grant so I don't have to keep paying for it? Like, uh, so talk about what it was like to to apply to a brand new school and uh, any sort of fears around that. Well, um, what was really important to me was like, what is their mission? Like, what are they about? Cause there's already a med school here. So like, I want to know why, are, why are you creating another school right next door to a medical school? And so when I learned like the mission and the core values and that, like the model and everything about the school, I, I wanted to like meet staff. So I looked the school up and every event that they had that was open to the public, I went to. I wanted to meet them. I wanted them to know who I was and express my interest in the school. And I actually attended their accreditation announcement. So it's been like a journey for me for the school because I've been following them for a while. I never had any concerns about it being a new school because my thought process was like every school is a new school at one point. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I have no doubt that they're going to get their accreditation. The school is going to thrive. Like I never thought about that, but I did have other people kind of say like, well, you know, that's a new school. What if in four years you don't, you don't have a spot for residency because of the new school. And I'm like, well, no, you know, every school is going to have to go through that when they, when they're created. And I even emailed you and we talked about it. And, um, so I didn't have any reserves about it being a new school. I was actually excited 
that yeah. um, I would be going to a school where I could be part of kind of like the foundation of it. So let's talk about that journey because it still wasn't easy. You're like, oh, new school. I'm going to apply. It's a mm-hmm. private school. So you had to apply through AMCAS for it. You applied through AMCAS and mm-hmm. still heard crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Nothing. Yep. What was the the time period between when you applied and, mm-hmm. and when you actually got that interview? Well, the application for that for the school opened up in November just for this year. Um, and so I didn't hear anything until February. But there was a little plot twist because um, you had emailed me like, hey, have you heard anything from any schools? Kind of like just checking in with me. Um, cause I had stopped checking in with you. Cause I was like, this is getting embarrassing. Like I'm not, get- <laughs> I'm not getting anything. He's going to be like, what is, you know, so you checked in with me, um, which, um, really I feel like was a game changer because when you checked in with me, um, you gave me a suggestion and I took your suggestion. And then the next day I got an interview. Yeah. So let's talk about that, that <laughs> suggestion. So this wasn't like. Hey, I suggest you you go hold up the admissions office and say you better give me an interview, right? You you had oh, been man. connecting with the school. So talk about that process. Yeah, I had just been connecting with them. Um like I was saying earlier, they had an accreditation event, they had another event just to meet the faculty and staff. So I would just go. They had a ba- a bit a basketball game. I went there. Um I'm not I am a really good networker, I guess you could say. I'm working on that, but I don't like small talk. I feel awkward and I look weird when I do it. So I'm just like, when I would go to the events, um, I would bring my husband and my family and they'll be like, are you not going to say anything to them? And I'm like, (laughs) well, I don't want them to think I'm sucking up or being weird. And they're like, just say hi. And so like, I went over and talked to one of the deans and she was so excited and she's telling everyone she's going to be one of our pre-meds. And so like, I just realized the importance of networking and you also um, told me that like that you that's important too to uh, express your interest in the school. And so I had been connected to them. And so when you had emailed me and said, Hey, do you have any updates for any of the schools that you applied to? And I said, no. And then you said, you know, Hey, um, I said, I'm waiting on this one school. I really actually, this is, that was actually my dream school to get into, to go to, um, and you said, well, why don't you just send them an email and let them know your MCAT score is probably the reason you haven't gotten um, your application looked at or an interview. But these are the other things I have. And I was just like, I don't know about doing that, Dr. Gray. Like, <laughs> that's weird because what if they like, what if they just say, okay, and then yeah, they don't like, even duh, we know that we have your yeah. application. <laughs> <laughs> and so I talked to my husband and he was just like, well, you know, I'm pretty sure he knows what he's doing. Like, just, just do it. You can't, you can't, um, you won't lose anything. And so I did it and I sent the email. Um, I think I sent it to you just to like review it just because I was so nervous about sending it. And it was really simple. It just said, you know, Hey, my name's Erica. I've applied to your school and, um, my application, I believe may have been overlooked because of my MCAT score. And then I just gave the breakdown of my score. And then I just told him, about my life, I kind of just gave them um, the highlights of my experiences throughout my journey. Yeah. And they responded and said, um, thank you. You know, your application is with the admissions committee. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, that's like a <laughs> My rejection's response. coming tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, 
then the next day I went to another event that they, that, um, the Hispanic chamber of commerce for women in medicine, I went to that event and one of their admissions deans was there. I didn't get to talk to her and I was so bummed out. And on my way to leave the event, I checked my email and it was literally an interview invitation sitting there waiting for me. And I almost like crashed my car. Like I was like, <laughs> Oh my God. So like, it was so exciting. And then I like emailed you. I was just so happy. And so, but it I, was literally within 24 hours. Talk about what it was like uh, to go through submitting your applications and sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting and finally being there on interview day. What was that like? For me, I felt like, like when they say an out of body experience, like I literally felt that way because I didn't see it for myself. And you, I felt like you uh, encouraged me and you saw it for me, but I I just didn't see it for myself. And um, I, I didn't get anything. I didn't get any interviews at the time. I didn't get, I didn't even get, Hey, you're still in the running. I just got, I didn't get anything. So, um, I started getting rejection letters, of course, but, um, it was, I've been on this journey for over 10 years. So it was, um, it was heavy for me because I was just like, wow, I'm literally sitting here going through these interviews, which went great by the way. Like I had fun doing my interview and it just didn't feel real for me. And I was so grateful for everything that I went through. Like I was questioning myself as I was going through stuff, but then like they say, hindsight is 2020, like trust the process because in the end it will be worth it. And if you don't give up, you will make it. But there were times when I just wanted to throw in the towel. I was just so exhausted and it was the same failures every year, but sitting there for interview on interview day, I'm like, I would do it again. I would do everything I went through, except for taking the MCAT all those times. I would do it. I would go through everything I went through again. So, yeah. What was it like getting that acceptance? Oh my gosh. Well, I love the school that I'm going to because they actually, at interview day, they tell you the exact day when you will find out whether you got in, waitlisted, or, you know, not this year. And it was literally two weeks after my interview date. And so <laughs> that, that Friday, I'm just waiting. Of course, my husband, he's waiting. He's like, they told us about the time it was going to happen. They're so transparent through the whole process. And it made it so much easier for me. And um, so I was so nervous um, that day. And I was just like, I felt like my interview went good. But, you know, that could be bad. I, I don't know. Um, I felt like I had fun, but maybe I had too much fun. Like, I don't know. I, I just had all these like, what ifs and that self-doubt um, <laughs> sneaking back. in. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the Dean of admissions called, um, from an unknown number. Cause I had programmed their number into my phone. Cause I'm like, <laughs> when they call, I want to answer. And so but it was an unknown number and I'm like, well, it could be a telemarketer. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to answer it anyway. And when I heard her voice on the other end, that, that self-doubt creeped, crept in. And I was like, what if she tells me like, you know, Erica, we really enjoyed you. <laughs> a, <laughs> but not a phone call year. rejection. That'd be a first. Yeah. And I'm like, what is my problem? Like, I got to get that. I got to stop doing that, you know? And she just told me all these things. And I was just sitting and she's like, we need you at our, the stuff that she was telling me, I was just like, did are you calling the right person? Like <laughs> you saw my MCAT score, you saw my, you know, but 
no one ever brought up my score and they still haven't, which I'm kind of like, y'all, no one ever brought it up. So, um, the thing that I was most worried about, I never got asked about. And to this day, like still, um, they didn't ask, but yeah, I got the call and, um, and it was one of the best phone calls that I've, that I've had in a long time. I mean, like I said, I've been on this journey for a long time. Like I'm in my thirties just to give you a perspective, (laughs) some perspective. So I've been on it for a long time. And to get that one call to say, you have a seat in our class for this year. I told her, like, I was like, I could scream or I could cry, but I'm not going to do either one. I'm just going to say thank you. (laughs) And I'm going to hang up the phone. (laughs) But yeah, it was it was amazing. And I just wanted to say thank you again, Dr. Gray, because um, I really don't think that I would be here without you because I had so much doubt and you were like the person pushing me like, stop it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So So how, (laughs) what would you do to recommend or what would you recommend to a student Mm -hmm. who doesn't have me Mm -hmm. in their ear, pushing them, motivating them, uh, the student who is doubting every step of the way, what would you Mm -hmm. tell them? Um, well, if you're listening, I would tell you first, just stop what you're doing unless you're driving, but stop what you're doing and really, um, become aware of everything that you're spending your time doing. Like look at your days and look at what are you doing? And you'll begin to see like, are you doing activities? Are you doing things? Are you making decisions that are make bringing you closer to your goal or further away? And so for me, like I created a time map to where I'm looking at my day from like 6am till at the time I go to sleep. And so I really kind of, would say, break your days down and focus on that day. Like, don't worry about four years from now. Don't worry about if you're 26 and you got four more years to go before you apply. Just focus on what you can do right now. And then when you keep making those small steps, you'll look up literally and you'll have a seat in the class like I do. So you will get there, but you, you can't, you can't get there if you keep doubting yourself like I did. Um, and it makes the journey a lot more painful. Like you're supposed to enjoy this journey and, um, I'm to the point now where I'm enjoying it, but, um, that's what I would say. All right. There you have it. A great story of a student overcoming, figuring out how to continue to improve her application, how to prove to the medical schools who she was, what she can add to the class and so much more. Hope you got a ton of great information out of this podcast today. Don't forget to go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 340 to see that letter of interest that Erica sent to the Fort Worth Medical School. And I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.